Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. A couple days ago, I got a, a lunch. I got a, what was it, a club sandwich, a classic club sandwich, really good on toasted sourdough. I got it from a place that was just down the street from the church where I've been, I've been, uh, I've been teaching online out of, uh, out of the church since it's been empty. And I went there for lunch, and, and I know some of the, the people there who, who run the place that I went. So I got the sandwich and thanked them for, uh, you know, being there uh, to, to still be a business and, you know, I want to support them. And, and so I got the sandwich, and, and then I was like, right, where am I going to eat the sandwich? And because I've been spending all day inside, right, inside in the same spot, you know, sort of teaching and stuff like this, I wanted to eat outside. And so I just, I just went outside. I just went outside. There's a little like a little strip of grass, you know, some trees. It was a beautiful day. I sat down, started eating my sandwich, and was uh, was enjoying it, maybe for not even a hot minute. Um, and, and somebody started walking sort of on the sidewalk, which is, you know, I will say, six to ten feet away. Um, so I wasn't too close. But um, somebody's walking along, and super tall guy, maybe around my age, maybe mid-30s, late-30s, and he's got a face mask on and i'm thinking oh i gotta see that i'm like oh, i should have a face mask and his face mask kind of has like a creepy smile like thing drawn on it i'm like oh that's you know in any other context i'd be like oh this is this is when i get stabbed to death you know um but he had a face mask on and, and he and he's walking by and he's got a backpack on and he stops and he looks at me and i'm like oh, that's interesting interesting moment and he stops and he says this to me he goes he goes, do you have TV? And I was like, what, how's that? And he goes, do you have TV? And I was like, TB, like tuberculosis? And I was like, oh my gosh, like, does this guy have TB? Like, is he about to, I don't know. I don't know what the guy's thinking, right? I don't know who this is. Do you have TB? I'm like, oh my gosh, are you going to come up and like bite me or something? <laughs> You're going to give me TB? What's happening? Is this the end? And I go, uh, no, no, what? <laughs> what do you mean? I go, tuberculosis? And I just, you know, like Doc Holliday or something? And he goes, no, no, TV. And he draws like a rectangle in the, in the sky. I'm like, oh. And then I don't know what to say because I'm like, well, actually, you know, uh, we we're trying to be tech-wise, so we got, <laughs> got rid of our television. Um, I go, I go uh, no, but uh, yeah, you know, um, you know, we watch movies from time to time. I don't, know, I don't know what's going on. And he goes, no, I mean, like, do you have the news? And I'm like, the news? Yeah, I, I know the news. He goes, is, is Corona gone? And I go, is Corona gone? And he said, yeah, like, is it gone yet? Is it over? And, and then I put the pieces together a little more quickly, finally, slowly. I realized he's a homeless guy. He's about my age. He's living on the streets. He doesn't have access to, you know, television, uh, radio, whatever. He does not know what's going on with the virus. He doesn't know what's happening. He thought, maybe is it over? But then he's wearing a face mask. Maybe he's seen people wearing face masks. He, he genuinely, like, no idea what's going on. And he literally is asking me, is the coronavirus gone? Like, he had heard about it, obviously. He knew it was dangerous. Saw people acting differently around him. Um, and so he literally is asking me, if I have a television, and have I seen the news, and is it over? Like, does he need to be wearing this face mask anymore? And I'm seeing, like, the face mask, and I'm thinking, like, this is, like, day two of the government finally saying, yeah, face masks actually, face masks actually work. You could also know that if you had... If you had read a, a little article that uh, Nate Zanzi posted, uh, doing a review of the literature and uh, kind of giving us uh, some really good insights before the government sort of <laughs> got on board with uh, some of those facts. But either way, I'm thinking, you know, the, the president just recommended sort of everybody be wearing face masks. And, and this guy, you know, this is like two days later and I'm seeing a face mask. And he, but he just, no concept of how long is this going to be and what's going on, not connected to this sort of global news thing and all the stuff that I see regularly on my phone, this guy is not seeing anything. He's, he's flying completely blind. And I was just like, oh man. And I just like, my heart kind of like broke because, okay, he's homeless. So risk, danger through the roof. Uh, but then just like not knowing what's going on. 
And I, and I wanted to like really, you know, clear it up, but I, I realized the best I could do was to say, oh, no, 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 it's, it's going to be around for a while, you know, like th- this is not going away anytime soon. You're doing, I was like, you're doing a wise thing. Face masks are good, you know, just want to keep, you know, you want to keep a good distance from everyone for a while. It's going to be months, you know, like at least, at least, like it's definitely not going away anytime soon. And he was like so sad, like he was so bummed to hear someone say that. He lifts up his face mask uh, and he lights a cigarette and he's just like shaking his head. He goes, and he literally says, I thought it was just like the flu, like it would just... Like any other, like like it was just the flu. I thought that's what people were saying that it was just going to be like the flu, and, and I'm thinking, oh man, like whatever he heard, you know, he was he was hearing sort of bad information, you know, earlier on when this was like this sort of politicized thing that was all sort of weird and confused, and a lot of dumb things were being said, and he had heard those things, you know, like this is just going to be the flu, and and so he was like really down and and. And I was like, look, man, I go, it's definitely not just the flu and it's definitely not gone and you definitely need to be safe. And, you know, I talked about that a little bit. I go, but, you know, the Lord, the Lord is good, you know, and I I was trying to tell him like the Lord is good and the Lord, you know, like we can be praying about this. I asked him his name. Um, His name is Billy. So be praying for Billy if you hear this. I said, Billy, I'll be praying for you. The Lord is good. The Lord can get us through this. You know, the most important thing is to is to be able to trust the Lord when we don't have a lot of answers right now. I go, but definitely don't you're definitely doing the right thing. Don't don't think it's over or that it's not a big deal. And uh, and so we talked. We had this like little conversation. Um and then he kind of went on his way and and I said, "God bless. You know, I'd be I'm going to be praying for Billy and 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 then I went back to my sandwich, you know, and I was thinking, oh, man, I should have given him my sandwich. You know, I had all these thoughts as soon as he walked away. I was like, what kind of horrible person? You know, I didn't even think about my sandwich. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever. Anyway, I'm still thinking about the sandwich. Like, it was a full, wonderful sort of club sandwich. And I, I just didn't even, didn't, I just wasn't, I, it's like he walked away and I was like, okay. Like, I did a good job there. I was like, you know, I was a good neighbor. But I wasn't actually a good neighbor fully. Like, I was partially a good neighbor. Like, he's, he's clearly homeless. Like, he, you know, he's clearly, like, not sure where meals are going to come from or, or how. And he probably can't go into the places he used to maybe actually get food. I, I don't even know. So it wasn't until, like, he was gone that I started, like, oh, my gosh, you're a terrible neighbor. What is wrong with you? Like, you couldn't put two pieces together and give him half of your sandwich? Anyway, not about me, not about that, not about guilt. It just, I want to weigh in to thinking about what what are we doing during this time when it comes to other people? What do we do during this pandemic, during this kind of crisis, kind of national scene, uh, when it comes to other people? And I know for many people, it doesn't come to other people. Like for many people, like the, the biggest challenge is still uh, like being bored and stir crazy at home. And and I would just I would just lovingly say that cannot be your biggest challenge. Like <laughs> something is deeply wrong with you if your biggest challenge is being bored at home. Like if it is so hard to be home right now to just sort of like be home and to like I get that it's hard on some level, but like that cannot be the thing that's dominating you. Like you can't like like you cannot be like consumed with the fact that sports are gone and not coming back anytime soon like that sucks and i love sports but we're we're weeks into this now that cannot be you you cannot be stuck in those places for long because you are going to be of no use you're going to be you're going to be just hobbling along and 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 then and then you're going to also be in a dangerous place where you're never able to sort of pick your head up and, and you're not able to notice people in the way that you need to be able to notice people. I'm talking to, I'm talking to Christians right now. Let me just be real clear. I'm talking to Christians right now, people who, whose faith needs to be in Jesus, whose trust needs to be in Jesus, and who are here on the earth not to just to survive or, or 
good Lord, or to try to go back to life as normal, business as usual, as, as my fellow pastor at Zoe would say, go back to what? First of all, we're not going back to anything, okay? We're not, it's never going to go back to something that it was. And, and what, are we, what would we be going back to? You know, a country on the brink of civil war where everyone hates everyone and it's just regularly shredding people to bits, where just confusion and chaos reign in people's minds and hearts. Yeah, that's, that's what we want to go back to. So if you are like, if the big thing for you is still like, I, I just hate being home, you know, I'm just so bored. Um, and, and, you know, my sports are gone. Like, I still get daily, uh, every other day I get a notification that the Colorado Avalanche, you know, the hockey team I, I, I support uh, is playing a game that they're not playing because I haven't changed my calendar <laughs> notifications. And maybe that's for you, that's NBA, or maybe you're so, so I can't even believe that baseball is not happening or it's not going to happen. I'm sorry, but we have to get over it, okay? Like, that cannot be... You cannot just be fighting just for you to just sort of, like, cope with just sort of inconveniences and the loss of certain kinds of entertainment. That cannot be the big thing. I get that that can be hard, and it can be annoying, it can be lame, all that stuff. What we need to be thinking about is during this time, not just like, what do I do with my time? We need to be thinking about, what do I do for others? Like, what what... What do I do as a neighbor? You know, like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two commandments of God that Jesus repeats, and he says everything is summarized in those two things. Love the Lord with everything you have, and love your neighbor with everything you have. This is a time to be a neighbor this is a time to, to look for your neighbor, to, to seek the good and the health, and to be there and to be willing to be there for your neighbor. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what it means to be a neighbor right now. One way of, of, of getting after this is to acknowledge sort of the ancient sort of uh, definition of, of xenia. Xenia is this beautiful Greek word, since I did this last week, I'm going to do it this week, beautiful Greek word about guest host relationships okay now in the ancient world you don't have a lot of motel sixes in the ancient world when you travel you are dependent on the kindness and the hospitality of strangers potentially unless you have family and extended family in every town or city you might go to let's say if you were a businessman and you were going to you know kind of trade and kind of go to different places for business and things like this if you were traveling you were at the mercy of people, okay? You are vulnerable in a way that is hard for us to even sort of imagine. If you were traveling in the ancient world, this is, I'm not talking now, I'm talking ancient Homeric Greece, so 8th century BCE, you know, Greco world, Ionian world. Um, if you were traveling, you were considered a, a xenoi. You were a stranger who would go to someone's home, knock on the door, and you would ask for hospitality, a place to stay, a meal to eat, uh, because because if you didn't get those things and you had to stay outside, you would be robbed and you would likely also potentially be killed. Okay, there's no police sort of just patrolling, you know, the average village or the average city even uh, in the ancient world. Like the vulnerability of being a stranger, of being a foreigner, of being someone who was not at home at that moment, who was traveling anywhere for any great reasons, right? Mary and Joseph with Jesus, you know, in the pregnant stomach on a donkey, casting themselves at the mercies of strangers, ultimately, you know, in Bethlehem. I mean, of all, of all scenarios, right? And, that, and they should have extended family there. So, so, you know, it might be that the extended family didn't have a space for them or whatever. But to travel in the ancient world was unbelievably dangerous, to, to, to be vulnerable, to, to have to go up to someone's door to ask for hospitality, a place to stay, a meal to eat, was life and death. It was life and death. And that's why it was so crucial. That's why we get that language of xenoi. A xenoi is a stranger. A xenoi is potentially a guest. A xenoi is potentially a host. But then you also get xenophobia and you get the fear of strangers, the fear of foreigners, right? You get this entire world that opens up out of this idea of guest-host relations, of, of someone showing up at a threshold, at a door, 
and asking for hospitality, asking for aid, for compassion, for support, not even just begging, like just literally someone just traveling, just traveling between, you know, place to place where they don't have family members or a home of their own, right? That this is like, absolutely essential and that's why it became such a fundamentally ethical category of making sure whatever else you did you needed to be a good guest you needed to be a good host because this was the ethical relationship that everyone eventually was going to be probably vulnerable to at some point everyone was going to be the stranger at somebody else's door at some point at any point you you could you could have something happen something go wrong or something go right and need to travel in any way past your own threshold outside into the world and you would be dependent completely dependent on the hospitality of strangers in so many cases. So this became like the ethical category in the ancient Greek world, for example. And that's why it's upheld and literally it is sort of overseen by Zeus himself. Zeus is the god that sort of is the sort of the underwriter of the concept, the ethical treatment of guests and hosts, the god of Xenia, right? So, so you had this scenario in the ancient world to just be uh, a person in the world where not everybody was a family member, a, a world in which people were just sort of there and they were not your people necessarily. They were outside of your local tribe. That rendered you a stranger to them. That rendered you either a guest or if they were showing up at your door, uh, potentially a host. But even the English etymologies come down to us in this way. Host is not disconnected from hostile. You could open your door, be afraid of or suspicious of your neighbor, and close your door. You could be a hostile instead of a host, right? So all of these terms, foreigner, stranger, guest, host, hostile, you're right, right, xenophobia, friend, they're all tied into this ethical category of how you behave when you're on either side of that threshold. What do you do when you see someone who clearly has a need and is clearly vulnerable and, and is clearly in your circle, is in, in front of you, is, is someone who is, whose experience, whose life, whose presence is touching your own? What do you do in a moment like that? And, and so to repel that person from your doorstep, to close the door in their face, is to, is to basically wager something devastating, which is, I will never be vulnerable. I, I can reject this person's vulnerability. I can reject having compassion for this individual. And, and then you're going to just hope or maybe just arrogantly assume you will never be vulnerable and require the hospitality of someone else. You will never be in that kind of and require the compassion or pity of someone else. You are taking a huge, ridiculously sort of wrong-headed risk into your hands if you reject the stranger at your door because you are basically saying you don't believe you will ever be vulnerable like that because the idea is that xenia is an ethical reciprocal relationship that you are a good host and you are a good guest because someday you will be in the other role someday something will happen and you will find yourself in need you will find yourself needing compassion, needing a bed, needing a meal. Even if you'd never thought that before, something's going to happen. Someone gets sick in a distant city that is your family member you hear about and you have to travel through villages and towns to get there, but it's more than a day's journey. And all of a sudden, even though you had all the protection, all the control, all the resources in the world, nonetheless, just to get to that new, maybe emergency, maybe tragic situation, you find yourself a stranger on the road requiring the help of others. To be a neighbor is to be the person that when the knock at the door comes, you open the door and you invite the person in. That's what it means to be a neighbor. Jesus tells a story of the good Samaritan. He is traveling in his normal life. He doesn't have some extra thing going on. He's doing his normal routine, his normal rhythms, and he comes upon someone who has been devastated, who has been almost beaten to death and because that person encounters him, not by physically walking up and asking anything, but by encountering him with their presence, he has now an obligation. The good Samaritan believes because he's a good neighbor. 
He has the obligation to care for this person, to have pity on this person, to go out of his way, to use his resources, to do whatever he has to do to to sort of help and restore this person. Jesus tells that story to say that's what it means to be a good neighbor. When any person comes into your circle, whatever that might mean, and has need, and is is dependent, is is in danger, is vulnerable, is requires pity or, or compassion or, or ought to, um, that now becomes the moment in which you discover if you're a good neighbor. And that's the calling to, to step forward and to see in the face of the stranger, in the face of the, the, sort of the, the injured party or in the face of the, the vulnerable party or whatever it may be, to see in, in that person's face the Lord himself and to serve Jesus there. That's what it means to be a good neighbor. And so this is a rich, deep, profound category that is fundamental to being a Christian and especially being a Christian at this time. At this time. Because the temptation in a crisis is always put the blinders on, look at yourself and maybe your sort of nuclear family, the people very closest to you, and just make sure they're okay. So, you know, stock up on extra things. Don't worry about the rumors you heard about people who are, you know, sort of on food stamps or welfare and they need to shop in the first and the second of the month. And, you know, don't take things that you don't need off the shelf. Don't hoard because it's taking them from someone else who may be really dependent, who may be really just barely making it. Like, you would have to put the blinders on to, to sort of, you know, be hoarding right now, right? You'd have to put the blinders on to just say, no, I look out for me and mine. And people are doing that all the time. And they're doing it everywhere. Christians cannot live like that. That is not Christian. It's Christian to live, to love your neighbor as yourself, to live with your eyes up right now in a crisis and to say, how can I care for those who are outside of my immediate personal sort of nuclear family circle okay how can i how can i be a good neighbor during a time like this so i'm going to talk about a few ways that we could be good neighbors in this crisis the first thing i would say is make sure make sure make sure you are guarding against misinformation now this is not the the end-all, be-all, this is just a fundamental category. Make sure you are not adding to misinformation. Um, I, remember when I, I remember when I cared for my, my grandma and grandpa when they were in the throes of Alzheimer's and dementia, and it was accelerating. And, and so I took over, you know, uh, all sorts of things. I took over power of attorney. I took over, um, you know, just doing the day-to-day tasks for them, getting food, you know, getting the mail from their P.O. box, all this kind of stuff. I remember getting the mail from the P.O. box, like, you know, every couple of days when I was, when I was going up there um, to take care of them. And I remember having to go through the mail and throw out about 90% of the mail because the mail that horrible people would send my grandmother and my grandfather was full of fear, was full of paranoia, was full of pleas for money, was full of the government's coming after you, the president, you know, is trying to steal all these things from you, like you can't trust these people, look out for these people, these people are here ruining the world, you need to give us money because we're fighting for everything that matters against these horrible people. I remember just seeing the kind of mail that elderly people got for a variety of reasons, from a variety of different places. And I was horrified, and I remember just being enraged because they were preying on my grandparents' minds. And my grandparents' minds, even before Alzheimer's and dementia, were like a closed system, okay? These are not my grandparents that I, that I uh, am still um, connected to now. These are grandparents of mine that have gone uh, on to be with the Lord. Um, but I remember the way that their world worked was they were a closed system. And if, if stuff came in through news channels and if stuff came in through their mail, that was going to go around in the circle of their closed system for weeks, for months, for years, until it was believed regularly, until it instilled fear, until it instilled paranoia and suspicion. And, and it was almost impossible once that kind of bad 
dangerous sort of sensationalistic, almost propagandistic information of fear, paranoia, give us your money. That kind of stuff absolutely fundamentally affected the way they thought and the way that they lived. And I I remember seeing not knowing kind of, man, where are they getting all these ideas? It must be from that 24-hour news thing. And man, that's crazy. But I would come to see them. This is before, you know, they got into sort of medical trouble or before Alzheimer's and the dementia became in any way obvious. And there was just normal life when I would visit them. And they would just have these ideas. They were like slogans. And I was like, where do they have this slogan, you know? And it was, the television was on 24 hours a day, all the time. Just always running, always running, always running. And I would like try to turn to like PBS, you know? I'd like trying to turn it to like, you know, so, I don't know, a classical concert or something. <laughs> I would like try to find ways of, of making the channel either always just be playing like good British movies about people in the 19th century, like you know, finally getting married or whatever. Like I would always just be trying to put in good things because I knew that television was always on. It wasn't until I started like, like having to be the person who literally got their mail that I also realized, oh my gosh, every day they are getting messages of fear, messages of hate, messages of paranoia, messages of, you know, if you don't do this, your country is going to be taken from you. If you don't do this, the world's going to end, all these kinds of things. I just remember being so vividly enraged at what, what was happening, at how people were preying on my grandparents' minds um, and the vulnerability of, of, of that. And, and, and I don't know if this is something we think about that often, but I feel like to be a good neighbor in part, you know, you can't contribute to that. And if you see that, you have to like try to bring some light into some of those dark, closed systems that people have. Because sometimes, you know, like... Sometimes it's a neighbor and not a family member who can get in there. Like if I said something, I say, hey, grandma, you know, that's, a, you know, it's like, oh, well, I'm her grandson. So, you know, she doesn't have to take me that seriously. But if, if like a stranger said something to her, she would actually talk about it much more. She would take it much more seriously. If like a neighbor, if somebody outside of her close sort of family system introduced an idea or said something and I think because she's thinking well who is this person they don't they don't know you know and they seem nice you know or whatever and so she would listen to like you know literally someone who was like delivering something at the door she would talk to them for 20 minutes and then she'd like talk about the ideas that they had and I remember being like oh my gosh I talked to her for hours and hours trying to bring good healthy ideas into, <laughs> into the house but it's like because I was so close to her it's like people when you're so close to people they just like can't receive it and so there's actually this incredible thing where a neighbor is kind of positioned close but not too close so that a neighbor might actually be able to bring in healthier ways of thinking, healthier ways of living because they are not, they're not yet suspicious as like having some agenda, right? Unless there's some weird uh, story there. Like there's actually a strange opportunity allowed by being a neighbor that can break through in ways that even close family members cannot, just cannot. Uh, and so I think one of the most important things during a crisis is that we be looking for ways to bring a little more light into people's thinking. And usually that just means avoiding misinformation, right? Like when, when you're asked, you know, well, what do you think of this? Or, or if, if somebody's like, you know, rolling up on you and closing that six feet gap, you know, you shouldn't be like, hey, whatever, a good neighbor just goes along with it. You should be like, whoa, hey, so that's, that's not good, right? Remember, we gotta, we gotta be smart, you know, you don't have to like, whatever, not to shame them, but <laughs> like you have to, you have to be able to contribute the healthier way of thinking and acting right now. That's what a good neighbor would do, right? If you see people are stuck in something and they're fearful of something or it's a, you hear the slogan phrase coming around again and again and again, you know, well, you know, they don't, they don't want the cure to be worse than the disease, you know. Like if you hear some sort of broken thinking that, that is setting people up to risk themselves in ways that they ought not, a good neighbor is going to say, well, actually, you know, we, there's really a lot we don't know yet. And what we do know is we need to at least minimally do this. Like we need to be really safe. It's really serious, right? It's really important that you take it seriously. Like we have to be able to kind of dispel if you see it, you know, to be a good neighbor is to try to help. So in good, healthy thinking and behaving, even if, especially if you're talking to someone who is either paranoid and fearful all the time and going to extremes or, or is, is completely casual or not taking it seriously enough. I think a good neighbor is someone who is going to speak a good word, you know, and it's not, 
And it's not that we have the truth, right? It's not, in fact, it's, it's the truth right now isn't even that important. It's the falsehood that's important, right? What I mean by that is this. Most people have no idea, for example, where I live in Orange County or in California, we have no idea how many people actually have the coronavirus, right? Because there's not enough tests, because the tests take too long, because people aren't even going to get tested unless they're in, in an absolute sort of advanced stage of suffering, right? And we know that they, they could be asymptomatic. We know that they could be cold chilling with the coronavirus because, and not even be sick yet for days, right? So just because you're hearing numbers about this or that, like, it, it could be literally 20 times worse than anything we know yet. The, the, the premium on knowing things is something you cannot get caught trying to say, well, I've read the latest headline, so I know, right? There is so much we don't know because there is so little ability to know exactly the extent of things right now. So I am not saying... What you need to be, uh, you know, is constantly, you know, sort of scanning the headlines, reading absolutely everything, and then disseminating, you know, the truth, you know. That could be very tempting. Yeah, bring truth. What I did say was like, no, push back against falsehood. Push, push back against misinformation. The truth, here's the truth, actually. We are completely uncertain right now of the extent. Uh, what we know is it's awful, and it could absolutely be 10,000 times worse than we realize, and we don't know. We don't know. And so, you know, people who are, you know, expecting the projected pathway to develop, they're expecting things to go a certain way. You could be setting yourself up for a huge failure. You could be setting yourself up for huge vulnerability that you're not meant to be set up for. What you need to know is uncertainty is what we know. Okay, and people cannot stand living in uncertainty. They cannot stand not knowing. So they want to say, I got the latest head. I got this. I got this. Oh, don't worry. It's tape. This number's tapering off. My friends, the numbers are completely not representing the actual situation yet. It's not that they're, they're not real numbers. It's that they're not, they're not accounting for all of the stuff we don't know. All right? We're, they're not able to. We don't even have enough tests to know. So it's really important that you dispel bad thinking or bad information, uh, fearful sort of slogans or things that you can tell are, are clearly like dangerous. Like the couple in Arizona, right? This t devastating story about the couple in Arizona. They're watching one of Trump's press conferences. It's on, the, the lady letter says, it's like, it was on like all day. You know, it's just being repeated constantly on all day. 24-hour news, all day, whatever. And Trump starts touting, you know, starts, ch <laughs> starts, starts touting this, this, this drug uh, for, that, you know, might, might be useful, might, might do this wonderful things, and it's been around forever and all this kind of stuff. The lady recognizes the name of the drug, right, chloroquine, and she's like, oh, that's, I have that. That's, uh, that's what we use to feed our koi fish, you know. And because her and her husband are in this closed system and this television is on 24 hours a day and they're getting scared and they're getting scared and they're getting scared. And then they hear the president. They hear the president say a name. They recognize the name. And they're like, wait a minute, we have that. And because they're scared, they, they decide that they, they're going to distill They're going to put a little bit of it in, in like water, in like a drink solution. Like they're going to mix it into their drink. 20 minutes later, they start vomiting uncontrollably. They're rushed eventually to the hospital. The husband dies of a heart attack. The wife was in critical condition for days is expected to make a full recovery and is completely devastated that she has now lost her husband because of a moment's panic, a moment's fearful thinking, and, and, and connecting what's being said on a television screen to her very not good uh, understanding of how to think about what it means for a drug to be recommended or even to not have gone through trials or even at the point the president was even saying that it's purely anecdotal evidence. Uh, Dr. Fauci comes on, you know, almost immediately after the, the next day and saying, you know, we don't know for sure of anything, but, you know, everything's worth trying in our trials right now. But of course, the FDA and, and then and then you get this this rise in in deaths of people overdosing on this drug in different countries around the world once the, the name of this drug gets out there. Because, because of just misunderstanding, misinformation and fear all being combined together. Now, when I heard that story, uh, I read that story, the next, uh, the next day I heard people talking about that story and they were laughing. 
Uh, I heard somebody say, you know, th- that, isn't that why you get married? So that when you're about to, to take some drug in your fish food, thinking it's going to keep you from getting coronavirus, you know, you actually have a partner there to say, hey, stop being stupid or ha ha ha. Like, I saw that story be taken by people and it was just mocked. This is how dumb people are. You know, here are the Darwin Awards. These are the kind of people, you know, this is evolution picks these people out. You know, it's just thinning out the herd, you know. I couldn't believe the callousness, the disgusting callousness of the response to a couple who could have been my grandparents, who who had heard something and thought they understood it, seen something on their shelf, thought that was the thing that they had heard, and then tried ingesting a little bit in, in like a glass of water, thinking that would maybe protect them. To me... It was like the tragedy of 24-hour news. It was the tragedy of, of closed system families. It was the tragedy of so many things combined. But the way I heard it talked about was that it was, it, was just a, it was just a joke. It was like a laugh. It was like, man, how dumb are people? How dumb can people be? My friends, misinformation is deadly, okay? Uh, exaggerated or even anecdotal information can be deadly, to be a good neighbor, what matters more than having all the numbers, which nobody has right now, what matters more than all of that is compassion. What matters more than, than the truth, I mean, we love the truth, right? But what matters more than the truth in a time in which nobody has it is not saying you have it is not saying this is it. This is the answer. This is when this is going to happen. This is when that's going to happen. Our projected pathways could at any moment shift dramatically. If you are, are putting a premium right now on your apprehension of the truth, of, of, of being completely informed about all these things, you are in an impossible situation. What you are being asked to deal with, if you're a Christian, what you are being asked to deal with right now is uncertainty. You need to be able to rest in uncertainty. You need to be able to not have to feel like, well, I'm a Christian. I have to dogmatically interpret all of these signs to tell everybody exactly what God or the government or anybody else is doing or really doing or should do. You have to resist that. That is not this moment. This is a moment of uncertainty. This is a moment in which the truth is not even available yet. We push back against misinformation. We push back against fear. We push back a bit against dangerous thinking or behaviors. Absolutely. Because what we, what we do know so far has led us to certain reasonable conclusions about safe conduct. That's basic. Where you see it not being observed, you want to, as a neighbor, you want to lovingly encourage it. That's what you want to do. And you want to push back against things that, that, are not, that are not that. But you do that precisely because compassion is the most important thing. The qualification of a neighbor is not the the truth of every single detail of the situation. It's compassion. You know, in the ancient Greek context, you would not ask the name of the person you were opening your door to. You would not ask them the name until well after you had invited them in. You would invite them in. You would be expected to have a place where you could give them a bed or someplace to stay. You would be expected to serve a meal, have a meal with them. And then usually it wasn't until the meal was finished or at least was being eaten by you and this stranger that you would ask the person's name. Why? Because the truth of who they were, maybe the importance, maybe the resources that they had, maybe how you know, maybe prominent they were or how poor they were, Maybe the truth about, about how broken they were. Maybe the truth about how scared they were. The truth about their past. The truth about all these things. That was not the basis by which you became a neighbor. Not by evaluating the truth of who they were and deciding if they were worthy of being welcomed into your home. See, if you got their name up front and the, and the person's name was you know, Bill Gates or something, you'd be like, welcome, welcome, Mr. Gates. We're so, oh, Mr. Gates, you can have our bed. You know, <laughs> like, like the whole reason is that there's the, to being a true neighbor is not by seeing if it's worth it to you. It's not by you getting all the information up front, okay? The true neighbor is someone who in the midst of uncertainty, compassion is the dominant response. You open the door, 
whoever they are. They may be rich. They may be broke. They need your compassion in that moment. And so compassion is the most important thing to be a neighbor. You open that door. You don't ask them who they are. When can they pay you back? Is there something they can offer in return? Do they have collateral, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Are they going to spend that money on booze? All those things. All the things we want to know up front. Well, wait a minute. Are you lazy? How did you get here? How come you're not safe? Why are you in this situation? A true neighbor is someone who lives out of compassion first and foremost. My friends, I know you cannot handle every news story that is heart-wrenching. I know you're going to have to pass on many of those. You have to be able to handle some of them. You have to be able to take on board the compassion and pity that should arise in your heart when you hear about that couple in Arizona. Or, or in a different story, the couple who's married for 61 years and then they both die of coronavirus minutes apart from each other. You have to be able to have compassion. You have to be able to feel things for strangers, for your neighbors. You have to be able to connect in a personal way at this moment. You have to be interested enough that you would not mock or deride or dismiss as, well, that's, that's why that's, there's Darwinism, there's this, there's that. Like, you cannot be callous and call yourself a Christian. You cannot be. A good neighbor is someone who is, who is compassionate, who has pity on the vulnerable, who, who sees a need and, and opens their door, who asks the person to cross the threshold, who makes themselves vulnerable to helping that person well in advance of ever having enough information, having all of the story, having their name up front and their bank statement up front. A good neighbor at our time right now is someone who is aware, who's looking around in uncertainty, knowing that we are truly in an uncertain moment. And even the best pathways, the best models and everything, they could pivot in a moment's notice and this thing could get much worse than the projected pathway. What if that happens? What if this pivots and becomes so much worse than anybody projected? What what if the victims become younger and younger and younger by the thousands? What if any number of things pivots If you are stuck in a narrative of this is the truth, this is it, and we're just needing to get to the other side of this, and then we'll go back to life as normal. My friends, you cannot cannot be connected to a moment like this and think we're going back to life as normal. We're never going back. It's never going to be what it was before. You have to let that go. If you don't let that go, you're going to be fighting all the wrong battles way long after the battle's over. You're just going to be out somewhere in a field swinging a sword saying, we need to go back. We need to go back. This is the fight. We need to fight. We just need to get back to, we just need to get back to this. We just need to restart that. Everything's going to be different after this. That's not an overstatement. This is it's just, a, it's just a clear statement. You, we're not ever going to go back to a time that's exactly like it was before. Everything is going to be now a time that was after this, in light of this. It's going to be different no matter what. Normal life, the rhythms of normal life are forever changed by this moment. If you can't take that on board, you're not going to be able to flex. You're not going to be able to dwell in uncertainty. You're not going to be able to respond to your neighbor. You're not going to be able to see the needs around you as they shift. They will shift. You're just going to be in survival mode, bunker mode, me and mine mode. But that's not what Jesus has commanded his followers. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. To be a good neighbor at this moment means your circle needs to get bigger. It can't just be your immediate family members. It can't just be your spouse or your spouse and kids or, or whatever. Your, your circle has to get bigger. It has to be, of course, your church. Do you know how this is affecting people in your church? Are there pregnant women in your church? Are there people who, are, who have a family member who's sick, they can't visit them? Or people who have family members who might be in nursing homes that are unbelievably scared about that situation and can't visit them, can't see them in the ways that they would want to? Do you know the, the people in your church who have children and, and the burden of trying to figure out how to manage school at home while manage working out of home and all of those things? Your circle has to be bigger than you. It has to be bigger than your immediate family. It has to encompass your church. You have to be interested. You have to be compassionate. You have to be looking for, how is this affecting the people in my, in my circle of my church? 
And, and then your circle, you know, you want it to be able to just keep expanding. Now, it's not, your circle is not the world, okay? That's God's circle. God circles the whole world, okay? Your circle is the, is the people that he brings closer to you, right? Your, 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 uh, your colleagues at work, are, that's, that's part of your circle, right? How is this affecting them? What's going on with them? How can we be praying for those people? That's what, that's what it means to be a good neighbor right now. It doesn't mean going up, knocking on the door, and introducing yourself. You know, like, going, like that would make you a terrible neighbor, ironically, right? No, this is a moment in which prayer is how we go up to the door and knock. Prayer is how we, is how we welcome people in crossing our threshold into our home. Prayer is how we invite someone to sit at our table right now. We invite through compassion and awareness and interest in their actual lives as human beings, we invite their presence, we invite their situation, we invite it into our hearts. And we invite it into our hearts by inviting it into our prayers, by, by, by including, encompassing. I want you to picture almost like you have a large table in your, in your dining room. Who is at the table that you are praying for? Who, what neighbors... What strangers or which, which neighbors have you invited to that table in your prayers during this crisis, during this season of challenge, of difficulty, during this pandemic? Who is around that table right now? Who is being prayed for you, by you? Who has been welcomed across the threshold of your heart and your awareness and your attention? And it could be a total stranger. It indeed could be this lady whose husband died because they got they misunderstood something and they were trying and they were afraid and now her husband's gone and she's now a widow and she's alone and and she can't even be visited by 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 her 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 actual neighbors right like in certain basic ways maybe she deserves a, a spot maybe that moves your heart and and the lord says you need to welcome her in, give her a seat so that she can sit down and she can be a neighbor to you, that you can be praying for her and care for her, have compassion for her. Maybe you're reading stories about frontline workers in New York or even here in LA, and you're just hearing these just stories about people who can't come home and even embrace their own children because they're, they're having to live in self-quarantine because they are risking their lives all day. And then they're risking and bifurcating sort of their family life because of this incredible service they are doing to us. Can you, can you welcome in one or two of those stories to the table? Can you be a neighbor to some of those hospital workers, even if they're not your family members? Like how, how, how much of the circle have you been able to open up? How, how big is the threshold at your door? How wide can that door swing open? And I'm telling you, it can't just swing open and have hundreds of people come in. You know, I'm talking about who can you care for right now? Who, let me be more specific. Who is the Lord asking you to welcome in to your life of prayer and attention and your willingness, especially if things get worse or they pivot in a dramatic way, your willingness to make yourself endangered or, or vulnerable in order to help those who are even more desperate circumstances. Who is the Lord putting on your heart? Who would the Lord ask you to care for at this moment, to welcome in at this moment? If you have not started asking that question, I would just encourage you. This is not something to just sort of get through fight against the frustrations of being home, just wish, pine, be angry, frustrated, and just sort of just anticipate when we can go back to normal and when we can watch basketball again and all these other things. This is so past that. And, and, and to get past that maybe is the call for some of you to just say, this isn't about, you know, how long can I hold on until it goes back to the way I like it, the way I wanted it to be. Um, this is a moment in which you say, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know how this is going to play out. But I do know that Jesus has called me not to just try to uh, white-knuckle this and survive this and just look out for myself. Jesus has called me to be a good neighbor, to, to love my neighbor as much as I am by knee-jerk reflex willing all the time to love myself to attend to myself, to think about myself, to worry for myself, to have compassion for myself, to pity myself. This is a time in which the Lord is asking us to lift our heads and ask people, 
And even if it's in prayer, ask the Lord in prayer, what are people going through? What is, what is affecting them? How is this going for them? Their life is not mine. What, what would it be to be them? What would it mean for them to experience what they're experiencing? Lord, can you show me that? Can you soften my heart? Can you, can you teach me compassion? Can you, can you help me be a good neighbor? Can you show me who you are calling, putting on my heart to, to welcome them in, to give them a seat at our table in this, in this virtual, in this, in this dining room of our hearts, of our souls, of our attention, of our prayers? Lord, who are the people that you're, you're calling me to be a neighbor to right now? And, and, and I would just say the, the encouragement is if you are able to care for a few neighbors, care for those, look out for, have compassion for, then, then, then ask the Lord if he could broaden your circle. Ask if the threshold could get a little bit wider. Ask if there's room, if there's actually, you know what, there's two empty chairs here, um, I'm less worried about myself. I'm doing all the things that I need to be doing that are recommended that the, you know, science is telling us that this is, you know, going to be the the safest right now, the best strategy right now. I'm listening to all those things and I can't control anything else, but I can control those things. So I'm doing a good job with that, but that's actually kind of, kind of picking my head up and I'm not, I'm not just obsessed with myself. I'm not just worried about myself. I'm not just constantly worried about my own family. Um, Lord, there's actually a couple, it looks like there's a couple extra chairs at this table who who do you want to invite in who who can who are you showing me who are you bringing near that I can have compassion on that I can care for in prayer and or a willingness to get groceries for or to check in on or to make a phone call or or whatever the case may be uh, that's what we need to be up to in a moment like this not just how do we survive being home getting bored, getting on each other's nerves. I feel like that's phase one, right? You got, you got to kind of settle in phase one, how to be home and how to like, you know, chill out a little bit here. Um, you know, be able to see being home is not a form of, of intense suffering or it shouldn't be. And if it is still, you know, something's, <laughs> something's very off. Something needs, needs addressed that's, that needs that should have been dealt with by now. Um, so, you know, how do we move from just thinking about ourselves at home which I said last week is important. How do we move now to saying, okay, but how, how can we actually be there for others? How can we actually be a good neighbor during this time? Jesus says, the call of any person connected to God, any Christian, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you so much for joining us today, everybody. If you found any of this interesting, we do hope you will share the podcast, that you will rate us on iTunes with those five sweet stars, and and that you will subscribe, and that you will tell your friends and your neighbors and your relatives and your mother Lois to subscribe, and your sweet, sweet grandmother, old grandmother Eunice. Eunice should definitely subscribe. Until next time, may you live well, think well, and love well. Godspeed.